welcome back to the podcast. We're sorry we're a few days late. Perspective podcast here. My name is Bruce. I've got Deborah. Hello, Deborah. Hello. We have been sick the last few days, so we mm. have been trying to upload once a week. Uh, but Deb has COVID. Surprise! Fourth time. Fourth, fifth. Whatever COVID means anymore. Mm-hmm. But thankfully, it was just a day or two. Uh, high fever, house gone to pot. <laughs> <laughs> I did my best. I also wasn't feeling well, but thank you for returning. If you've been listening over the past few weeks, we're going to continue the parenting uh, series. I was telling Deb, boy, there's so many other things going on. It seems strange to talk about parenting with uh, the war, nuclear escalation, all that's happening inside Ukraine as well. And I was thinking maybe to do just a podcast on our perspective as we're not just watching the news, but listening to podcasts, friends, uh, and even inside Russia, the perspective, such different narratives mm-hmm. from inside uh, the East versus the West. Yeah, it's amazing. But just know if you are in Ukraine and listening, that our hearts are, are with you. So we started this series with pregnancy and Deborah had some really good things to share there. So if you haven't heard that and that's of interest to you, go back and take a listen. And then we moved into the first three years. That was the last podcast, my favorite. And then we're moving into the, what would you call the four to 10 year olds? We've got an eight year old and a 10 year old Mm -hmm. in this sphere still. So it's fresh for us. And uh, we actually tried to have them on the podcast <laughs> just a few minutes ago, and it didn't go very well. Didn't uh, go so well. No, Claire got nervous, and then Abby said some things that we need to deal with. <laughs> we we realized Not on the podcast we we have some issues to work on after the podcast. So thanks for joining, and Deb, you feel up to this? I feel okay for now. Yeah. Okay, so let's move right into the four to 10 year olds. We talked about in the last podcast that we wouldn't be so focused if we could go back on just the outward obedience, like getting the results, the actions without really focusing on the heart. I think we thought we were focusing on the heart. Mm -hmm. And as first time parents, we're so focused and actually delighted too. like, wow, they obey, they're doing what they're told. And then we kind of panic when they don't. And then we discipline to try and get that outward obedience. And we think that's the success, Mm -hmm. but truly it is the inward relationship and that you're developing over time and getting to their heart. That was a teaching that we got early on is that you're trying to parent and train not to get just outward obedience, but to come inside their hearts and come alongside them in their development. Mm-hmm. And obedience, first time obedience is important when they're young and toddlers and they need to listen to you because you are wise. You are wise, parents. You have much more knowledge. So never apologize for requiring that first time obedience when they're little. They have no negotiation skills. It's easy to stay in that mode of because I said so, because I told you when as they're moving into these next years, they start to gain comprehension between what you say and what you do. Right. And and I had just said they don't have negotiating skills. No, they, that was incorrect. They do have the skills. They don't have the right 
they haven't earned the right through maturity. And we talked about the parenting funnel as well. That, Like you're saying at the beginning, you're requiring that first time obedience. They have very little freedom, but as they grow and mature and show themselves to be responsible and be able to manage the freedoms we give them, then the goal is to widen their freedoms. And so we're into the age now, four to 10, where what can we do instead of just requiring out, outward obedience? There's a point where you actually have to explain why. Why is it important to obey? Why, daddy says, don't run over the flower bed. Why is it important not to take that candy from the store? The moral reason why. I think it's interesting as we went through this process and heard this teaching, moral reason why, that I felt even I was bankrupt on some of this theology about why we require obedience and why this is good for us to do. Yeah, I remember hearing uh, just the concept that as children, they're coming into this world kind of with a bankrupt, not bankrupt, but an empty warehouse of morals, of ethics, you know, and so they're going to pick it up vicariously as they watch you. But as a young four, five, six year old, you also need not just embody it, but also verbally now we're communicating. Whereas before, you know, they got sign language, they're not making a lot of sense, but now there's some dialogue taking place. So you're, I think, embodying the virtues that you have and then like kind of paving them with words versus just do what I say because I'm your parent. You know, so many of our ideas about authority are so negative because we revert to roles and not relationship. I am the dad. Therefore, obey me. I don't need to talk about it. You know, I'm the mom because I said so. You know, that's that's your calling to your role instead of appealing to a virtue. Yeah, it's the great thing about having kids now. You have this intense spotlight almost on you and your life about why you're doing the things you're doing and does your behavior follow your beliefs? And they are the ones that know because they're close and they can see. You know, they may not confront it, but they see it. Yes, they're picking up on all these little... Inconsistencies. Mm-hmm. Whether you're uh, trying to create rhythms as a young mom or dad, the baby, or into the toddler years, we need to be consistent. Even if that means we're not able to uphold like some standard to pull back and just be consistent with who you are, really, not who you're trying to be as a mom or a dad. So you're entering the years where they will really help you process and start to learn about yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think in that consistency, like we know we're not always going to be that way and we are going to fail. And that actually those failures can be perfect teaching times for them to come and be humble and share with them, you know, that we made a mistake and that repairing process is also teaching them great value in. We didn't do that early on. No, no. Our view of the father, our view of authority, I think was so skewed. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have the humility. Of course, we wanted mercy from God. But we were so performance-driven in our own personal relationship with God that our parenting became very performative as well. 
And I think even a fear to be seen as weak by your children, that they won't, they won't respect you anymore after that. And then how are you going to get obedience? Right, right. And so if you're a first-time parent or first-time or a younger parent, some of this might sound crazy. I think it would sound ridiculous to me that we would encourage parents to be vulnerable, to be okay with weakness. But that's how we parent now. Mm-hmm. because we're so affirmed by the mercy of God, by his mercy in our lives that we are, we, we know that we're loved mm-hmm. and cherished. And so we know God is so merciful with us that we're, we're able to extend that to our kids as they disobey, as they get emotionally upset or do something really stupid. We're able to be merciful because we're receiving mercy, I think. Well, yeah, that's good. We should end the podcast right there <laughs> because that's that. I think that's the heart of growing into love, becoming love, not just cognitively have these ideas about God and love and like this message, you know, that we're trying to live into, but we're actually experiencing it and giving mercy to ourselves, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yes, I would move into the area of emotions as they come into this age. And they are expressing a wide range of emotions. And for the first years of parenting, well, a lot of years of parenting, I was scared of my emotions, wasn't supposed to have them very high or low. And be stoic. Yes, be calm, stoic. And so when my kids would display wild emotions, either too happy or upset, I had to do something to calm them down or stop them or convince them to not feel this way. It felt like that we were parenting inside the home in order to take them out into the world and like showcase, you know, Mm -hmm. we're a good Christian family. Mm -hmm. Our kids obey us. We can go to restaurants, you know, and it's not a fiasco. We're not saying that you just let them fly off the handle. Their emotions are real. They're there for a reason. And do we have the bandwidth and the intentionality to step back and actually get to know them and get to know their emotions and actually talk with them instead of just discipline and get that outward obedience? Let's move to uh, one thing I wrote down here, measured measured responses, uh, especially in these early years you know, the looks on our faces as parents, the way we respond in certain situations. I I remember one concept of just being careful to measure your response as a mom or dad by the reaction and the, the, the look on their faces. Like for example, the other day you guys came back with haircuts. You went to the mall and Deb and it was Abby and Claire actually Mm -hmm. came back. And all these years I've remembered, like there's moments when they're anticipating a response. Maybe they just came back from a tournament or some event and back from summer camp or whatever. They're coming back with this anticipation and to be the parent, the father and the mother in that moment that stops whatever you're doing. I mean, you may be in the middle of something intense, but to, to know that there's such a precious moment because they're anticipating. And I want to train that, that when you have an event in your life, be it happy or sad or devastating or exciting, we're the ones that you can come to and know we're going to be present with you 
and be excited with you or grieve with you. And that's something that we still work on. Mm. But I think that it's something that's always been meaningful to me. And so they came in with streaks in their hair (laughs) and we're so excited. And uh, yeah, and I just rejoiced with them. You know, it may not mean that much to you or to me what they're excited about, but the fact that you're joining with them. Yes, they all, well, we all have this longing to be seen and to be known. And when something happens and you enter into a room where a parent is, you are looking for some response like, do you see me? Do you, do you know me? We develop these strong attachments to people who light up when they see us. Right. And that's hard because some of our kids are all over the map. Those of you listening to, maybe you're thinking, oh my goodness, I can't. I can't do that because every three minutes they're excited about something. And, and we would say, you know, think about it contextually. You know, it's the difference between them coming in every five minutes versus it really is a life moment and just be sensitive to those things. We have one particular kid that, you know, we just can't be totally excited all the time because they're constantly excited about everything. Yes. And I think that it's also important to look into their eyes that you can be joyful and excited or opposite, whatever you need to be. But if you're not looking into their eyes, you're missing something, some connection there. As we work through these ages because that's a pretty broad spectrum, you know, between a four-year-old and a six. And even now we've got an eight and a 10-year-old and the maturity levels, what they're interested in, it's always changing. You know, every six months to a year, they are blossoming into their personhood. We heard early on, it's, you know, not whether you enjoy your kids, but other parents enjoy your kids. So that's something I think that we need early on need to hear because we're enamored mm-hmm. with our kids and we're mm-hmm. blind to it. Yes. But do other parents run for cover <laughs> when they, they see, see our kids coming? Kids come in? <laughs> and so training them to how to interact with adults early on mm-hmm. is so important. I think that gets back to the moral reason why that when your kids are interacting with other adults to see them as these precious souls that God loves. Yeah, and allowing them to be in the conversation, even with adults, if they're participating and they want to be. Like some of our kids early on, if we'd have home group or things happening, maybe it's not interesting to them. We don't make them stay. But if they are interested, they can and participate and be a part of like adult conversations. Yeah, I think we found it important for them to interact with adults and at the same time to not be see themselves as the center of attention that all the world revolved around them. And we've all been in those scenarios where adults are trying to have conversations and there's some kid, maybe they're six, whatever, and they just dominating, distracting, and the parents are so enamored. They think their kids are so special. They don't see what's happening that that kid is dominating and that the moral reason why back to why do we avoid that? Why do we teach our kids, train them? It's the preciousness of others. It's that it's not about you, Mm -hmm. whether you're in the store or you're in your own home playing with another kid. 
early on in these years, coming out of the toddlers into the four to 10 year old range, we are teaching and training and hopefully embodying the preciousness of others. And they will start to hopefully um, export that into different contexts. So if they are dominating, if they are interrupting, if they are being selfish, which they will be, Mm -hmm. that you're not just disciplining that, but you're building the warehouse Mm -hmm. of how to act in all these different situations based on ethics and values and that other people are valuable. Yes, and that it's not that they are not important in this moment, but to have start widening their picture of community and being aware of what's happening around them and conversations that people are trying to have. I think that moving out of the West and spending all these years in the East has helped us to appreciate community. And not in the sense that Westerners might use the word community. We're not talking about church. We're talking about relatedness through others. Mm -hmm. So in the West, we're very shaped through hyper individualism. Mm -hmm. And so you are used to coming into a room and thinking about yourself. Am I warm? Am I hungry? Am I first? You know, where East, it's more of a a self-knowledge through relatedness with others. And so obviously communism has a lot of negative connotations, but you think of the word communal, communion, unity, union, and the Trinity being mm. the, the triune God in relatedness within himself, that there's a way of being known through intimacy through care, through respect, that I'm not known necessarily because I have the floor and that I'm in the middle and I have the spotlight, but I am known because I'm a part of this mm-hmm. and I can enjoy the relationships in this room and not be the center of them. And I think we're surprised at how young they can become aware of other people and their feelings and they're learning to read minds and emotions around them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can be a clown and dominate a room as much as anyone. <laughs> and so they will, kids will pick up on how we interact with others. Um, I think I would go back to emotions again, because I, I think I've been shocked at how many of my responses to my kids were actually stemming from something that had nothing to do with the present situation, that I could burst out in anger or say something sharp maybe because of the current situation, something's happening, but I'm actually responding from something in my past and it's creating this anxiety inside of me. And so to be aware of what's happening in your own emotional state as you interact with your kids. As you mentioned that, I'm thinking, what does a young mom or a young dad do to become more Mm self-aware? Mm-hmm. I think one of the first things we need to do is to pay attention to our bodies, which for so long we've thought of as not important enough, like they're just useful 
things. They're not spiritual. But actually, this is where our emotions and where the spirit is working inside of us. And so just to become aware of what we're feeling and where we're feeling it. If there's anxiety and I can feel it, you know, in my gut or something heaviness in my chest or throat, that these are signs that there's something going on and that our body responds before anything else. Mm-hmm. I think of early parenting usually means we're very busy. We've got energy, maybe at work. Some of you men or women are bringing home a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. And boy, I, I think of these years, how many times the kids, you're right, they were getting reaction from my day mm-hmm. and not necessarily how I felt about them. Mm-hmm. Not being in the present moment. Mm-hmm. So as we get older, we are becoming more aware of who we are, who we're not. And as we get more comfortable in our own skin, we really do become more at ease and able to interact and enjoy these different personalities. But boy, when you're young though, and you don't have many systems down, everything's new. You've never had a six-year-old and a 10-year-old. And if you have more than one kid, it can really feel so overwhelming to be encouraged if you're in your 20s or even 30s, that as you get into your 40s, there really is a transition that starts to take place. And so we're telling you now, it's okay, uh, maybe to exit that scenario, maybe you don't need to train and discipline right in that moment, Mm -hmm. that you can step back and go for a walk, or maybe you need a nap, or something that just helps you kind of be grounded in the moment before you engage that heart that you love so much. Yeah, that you're, you're participating in forming. So we're not giving a, a lot of practical advice. We're going philosophical again and getting back to really getting to know yourself. But mm-hmm. there are some practical things. Uh, I'm thinking about those special moments. There are these little windows where our kids' hearts really open up. And being aware of that um, is helpful to know that maybe it's at night And Deb does a great job with the girls earlier on with the boys, tucking them in. And, you know, I'd want my day to be done. I'd be so tired. But there's some times where they they just want to talk and their hearts are open. There are these special moments of bonding and where they open up and they're really willing to trust. Maybe they want to share something that might not seem that big of a deal to you, but it may be something that they'll remember the rest of their life (laughs) that Mm -hmm. they, they opened up and they were either ignored or be just real fast with with a response and not be careful. I go swimming with Claire a few times a week and it's our little bonding time and it's just cute. There's these moments where it's just her and I, and I recognize now after raising all these kids, how fast It goes by, and those moments are precious. Yes, and I remember hearing this term special time with your kids where you set aside half an hour, even half an hour a week, just to spend half an hour, even half an hour a week with a child and how impactful that would be for them just to have your undivided attention and how special it would make them feel and how they would look 
so they would so look forward to that time and very important for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say also if you have several children, to be okay with doing something special for one mm. and not feel you have to do it with the others. And our younger girls really like gum. So I check out when we're in Ukraine and it was part of my routine. And sometimes I would just get Claire some gum and sometimes Abby's favorite chocolate bars. I forget those coconut things. Bounty. Oh, they're disgusting. (laughs) And, you know, Claire would look kind of go, but they get used to that. Mm -hmm. And early on, if you're never do that, then obviously it looks like you're showing favorites, but you know, there's times dad or mom does something special for me and does some something special for someone else. Again, preciousness mm-hmm. of others. And learning to rejoice with others when they rejoice. Right, right. Sometimes we're so uh, wanting happiness, you mm-hmm. know, that we parent. If you parent to the happiness, it, there's no end. It never no. stops. No. So don't do it. Don't yeah. even try. Yes, and I I noticed in myself that once I started to get angry and resentful towards my children, I realized that I had been trying for too long to make them happy and not requiring anything of them, no work, no chores, and then I found my attitudes towards them changing. Mm-hmm. Okay, we just had to pause our podcast. We have a 16-year-old son who needed a taxi. He was stranded outside the city in Romania. And uh, we will get to parenting teenagers next week or the week after. So come back for that. Uh, We're still learning, but that's a lot of fun. And I think that's the point of these years too, that we are parenting to get to the point where you're not freaking out and have this chaos on your hands, but you, you have those journeying with you in self-discovery. Yes, and that's what's so important about these young years is building this relationship step-by-step, day-by-day, so that they can trust you when it gets to that relationship part. There's a solid foundation of trust that you Mm -hmm. do know them, you care about them, and they can open up to you. They're okay being stranded outside the city (laughs) gates. (laughs) Who are they with? What are they doing? Like, uh, as a parent, don't dread the teenage years. They are some of the best years. They really have been. Um, Not because we've been amazing parents, but because we valued having a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. By the time we get there, that uh, our parenting doesn't start then. Okay, now we need a bunch of rules. But that we have been giving them freedoms. They've been failing and learning and and we've been failing along together absolutely and by the time they get there you are your equals Mm. you know like you've there's this idea in leadership theory is so important that as we move through life when we're younger those that influence us are influence us are those in places of authority they have roles so mom and dad and teacher and policeman, policewoman, doctor, these roles elicit a respect and a submission. But as we get older, that moves to relationships. And we look for those that are equals, 
those that are colleagues, you know, in our 20s and our 30s, it moves from roles. We're not looking to roles anymore. We're wanting to grow. We're wanting to be inspired. And we do that within relationship. And then the third stage, for those of us that are believers, we are looking for those that embody Christ, that really reflect him in ways that inspire. I I share that because as a parent, we can put on this role as mom and dad, and we think that's always our go-to card, Mm -hmm. that when we want a certain action or reaction, especially in these younger years, yes, you are the mom, you are the dad, but there's a day coming when you will exchange that card for equal relationship, someone that's also growing and learning. So you want to sow those seeds early, I guess is what I'm saying. Yes, and I think you mentioned last time about Jesus calling us friends and and moving to that stage. And it doesn't mean that you are at the same point in your journey. It just means that you see each other as equals. Mm -hmm. In the grand scheme of the universe, in the brief moment, that we take up oxygen together in these physical material life forms. There's a small season where they are incomplete, incompetent. They need you for sustenance, for protection, for all of these things, for training and learning. But it's going to go by so quickly. And they will be, hopefully, someone that is speaking into your life too and that is inspiring you. And I know that our young adult children do that. I think another practical thing, just going back to choices and opening up that funnel, when they're still that young, four, five years old, that you start to give them a minimum amount of choices. You know, which cup would you like? But you don't let them choose from the whole cupboard. It's the red or the blue, and you slowly open up, you know, which outfit. So you have two outfits for them to pick from just a practical way to help them make decisions, but not be overwhelmed by all the choices. Right. And if they're part of a larger family, it becomes easier because they, they learn quickly that there's a pecking order (laughs) within the family system and that they're not the center of the world. But at the beginning, if there's just one child or two, it can be a real challenge. And I want to speak to some of the temptations when you don't get that obedience or when you don't get the the reaction. Maybe it's like you're saying they're too emotional, they need to calm down, or they're not being respectful. Uh, and that is for parents to start to threaten and to repeat themselves. I don't know if my mom's listening to this <laughs> podcast. Is there a way to filter out relatives <laughs> on uh Podbean. <laughs> no, but my mom was one of those repeating, threatening parents because we we would never listen. Mm-hmm. And so she was constantly repeating herself and we knew there was a threshold. Yes. And I'm actually the same way where I will repeat and say over and over until I reach that point where like, I've had enough. I can't say this one more time. So you need this podcast. I need this podcast. <sighs> But to threaten and to repeat, if we're repeating ourselves, we're not being consistent because every time, and that's a blanket statement because I believe it's a truth, is that when we 
are inconsistent, we're training them. We're actually training inconsistency. If they come to us with a question or a problem and we respond one way one day, the next day the other, if they come to us, if they've fallen and scraped their knee, we respond one way, and then the next time they scrape their knee, we respond another way. How we respond is training them. They're adapting toward that to that behavior. And so if we are parents that only put our foot down, only discipline, only make them take a time out after they've, you know, we've exhausted ourselves mm-hmm. and we're screaming, um, then you've done that to yourself. You've been inconsistent. And set up a very confusing state for them to grow up in where they are unsure of what to expect and what's expected of them. There's no such thing as a child that's bad or just there's something wrong Mm -hmm. with this kid. Uh, Only parenting that's coming out of an unhealthy place. And I wrote down here as well, like manipulation and how easy it is to manipulate and not even know you're doing it as Mm -hmm. a parent. One of the ways is to withhold your love, like as a form of discipline. And it's so... breaks my heart when I see parents doing that. I'm sure there's times I've done it where you are disappointed and you kind of invite them into your disappointment as a form of punishment. Mm -hmm. I know for sure I have done this in the past and and how God came along and showed me and, and still working on it, but he showed me how it is not how he deals with me, but that it was the way I was manipulating, trying to get the behavior I wanted from my children by I will be more affectionate and smiling and loving when you act a certain way Mm -hmm. instead of accepting them all the time with love and joy. And in that joy, sharing your disappointment or what needs to change. You're speaking about unconditional love which doesn't mean you're affirming their behavior, Mm -hmm. but that regardless of their behavior, you're there, you're patient, you're kind, you're loving. And it really is releasing because you're not on the hook for this free agents decisions that they're making and their emotions and their words that are coming out of their mouth 24 seven. They are being formed, and, and the more they learn that their safety, that no matter what they do, mom's going to be there and dad's going to love them. Uh, I think that's the antidote toward the rebellion. Mm-hmm. Is it's his, his loving kindness that leads us to, you know, turning toward him. It's not this amazing moral standard that we're just attracted to. It's his love. Yes, and that there's freedom to make mistakes because we will, because we are so unformed. And the freedom to know that you will be loved even in your mistakes and your struggles does give you, yeah, you're more drawn to relationship when there's acceptance in, in your struggle. Mm-hmm. Because of the heart that we're dealing with that is incomplete and unformed, in many ways broken because of the ways of this world, they will take advantage of that love. There'll be times where they will reject the love that we're giving them, the unconditional love. 
So it's not like we're saying it's a recipe. Just love them and they're going to like magically, mommy, I'll do what you say. They will sometimes just completely reject and choose the unwise path. But as, as a parent who is not flying off the handle and not moved by that reaction, it really does begin to challenge them. Mm-hmm. And keeps the door open so they may react that way for a while. And then when they come to their senses or humility, you know, they know your reaction was still going to be the same. Mm-hmm. Three things we would tell ourselves if we were to go back in a time machine for the four to 10 year olds. And Deborah, why don't you start? Okay, my first one, I think we've talked about quite a bit on this podcast, but it is paying attention to your own emotions and who you are and the way you express those emotions. That um, if I could go back and tell myself something, I would tell myself to, to explore this and to bring my full self to my children and to my experiences and to my life because I stuffed my emotions so much and didn't pay attention to them that I actually was creating distance between my kids and I. Even as I tried to have fun with them and enjoy them, there still was a certain amount of distance created because I wasn't paying attention to what was happening inside of me. So I would love to go back and tell myself that, pay attention, what's happening. So funny thing is this podcast on parenting, really, I think 90% of it has been like (laughs) self-awareness. And uh, we didn't didn't intend for that. We were not trying to trick you parents, but it really is the biggest area of growth, I think, through our 20s and 30s. So, okay, I would say mine's easy. First one is I would go back and I would just tell myself to be silly. And I'm having so much fun with these youngest girls and being silly with them. I didn't want to be, you know, at first I wanted to be the hero, the provider, the cool guy. Uh, I was so insecure in so many ways that I couldn't just be um, myself, I think. And in the mornings we put on crazy music, a lot of 80s music happening these days, <laughs> and just dance and be silly. And they sometimes just reject it. I, I feel like I'm communicating love and that it's okay for them to be as silly for as long as they want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, for my number two, it's sort of similar to my number one But it's more along the lines of paying attention to what I needed and wanted as a person. Um, This is still something I'm working on, but I would rationalize it as it was a good thing to sacrifice your whole self for your family and to give everything. You had no needs or wants of your own, that everyone else was important. And while it kind of sounds good in my head, I realized after a time that I'm conveying this message and they're picking up and what's going to happen to them when they're adults and grown up and now they need to take care of themselves and invest in themselves and have I told them that that's not important because I wouldn't do it for myself. All of yours are the same. Yeah. 
pretty much. Like from the last podcast too, you go back and you tell yourself your your presence matters. Take care of your body. Mm-hmm. Get alone. Process the deeper things. I think you're not own. giving any parenting advice. <laughs> but you are. No, you I are. am because as moms, you are taking care of these kids so many of their needs, their food, their laundry, their schooling, their errands, their everything. You're doing so much for them. It's so easy to forget that you are a person. And if you want to go back to school or, you know, if you are working or these other things mm-hmm. that it's, it's okay for them to see you as something other than a mom. In a way, we weren't good for each other as two unformed We affirmed these people. messages. Yeah, we affirmed the unhealth, you know, because we had these ideas of what it meant to be a good mom. And then I'd be like, wow, you're a good mom. <laughs> because I, I, you know, I'm affirming that you're super busy and not taking care of yourself. Right. And yeah. yeah. And I'm being affirmed as well, maybe in ways that I shouldn't have been. And so we need to go back. We need the time machine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Second thing is that I would, first one was be silly. Second is I would snuggle mm-hmm. more. And the little times, I, you know, when they're little toddlers, of course, we play on the floor and just have a blast with them when they were little. But they get into the four to ten, and some of them aren't that snuggly. Depends on the personality, somewhat. But I think that all of them could have used more just snuggle time, physical affection from me. Uh, and maybe you listening, your family's not that affectionate. I didn't come from a really affectionate family. Yours was much more seemed to hug and physically affectionate. We've really tried to be more affirming. But in that zone, you're paving the way again for the teenage years. And when we talk about preteens, they get uncomfortable with themselves. They they start to struggle with their identity. And especially with the girls, um, I really want them to be affirmed and loved by their dad physically so that no one else needs to. (laughs) Um, Okay. For my third point, actually what I thought of was if I could go back, I would read to my kids more. And I think that that kind of fits with my personality that I enjoy books and stories and reading and that I wish I had more times of sitting together with them and creating some of these memories of reading stories together. And so I guess my advice for others in that is to, again, maybe I said this last time as well, but for your personality, discover what your strengths are and what you enjoy and bring that to your family in in the ways that you you like to and that they'll pick up from you those important aspects of who you are and what you bring to the world. Because they're picking it up anyway, what you really enjoy. You know, we've got a neighbor next door who's out with his son almost every night and you know, playing soccer, you know. And you know that kid is just loving soccer because his dad loves soccer. It's not rocket science. And if you really love to ride your bike, like go ride your bike, be a family that rides bikes, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, they're going to get it. They're going to pick it up 
And it's not a moral thing. It's a life-giving thing. This brings mom life. They'll pick up on the life you know, mm-hmm. that it's bringing. Mm-hmm. So you're a book reader. Okay. So third is for me is to go back to discipline and training. And in these years, now I know how incredibly different their personalities are. And we're really into Enneagram and different personality traits. And so I go back and like introduce some of this teaching to them mm-hmm. so that it would be a tool to know how to get to their heart. And not just kind of lay out a discipline way about myself for all the kids that applies to all the ages, regardless of their gender, regardless of their personality, uh, because that was really short-sighted. And to know now and appreciate their uniqueness. And we didn't have the tools back then either. I knew we didn't want this regimented devotional time that was stoic and had no feeling of the real life of God in it. But really, I didn't know what else to do, how to introduce God so much to them and how to hear his voice. But these ages, this four to ten, they're so open and they can hear the voice of God. And I would, in these young ages, introduce them to this imaginative prayer and hearing God's voice themselves, because they can, and they do, and it would be a great faith builder for them, and their walk with God will be affected for the rest of their lives, hearing His voice at a young age. The way they pray, the way they envision God in the present moments, is so different now, the way that you have, Deborah, trained and formed and like come alongside your younger kids versus the older ones, because that was devotion. Close your eyes, say your prayers, say amen. Nothing necessarily wrong about it, but More it was formulaic. It, yes, and it was uh, not short-sighted. It was very limiting mm-hmm. in God's, like you're saying, presence in the moment and how the different ways God does speak to us. You know, like Claire She'll pray with her eyes open and she's just talking to God. And it's like, even catches me off God guard sometimes where that's a different way of approaching God because you now have a relationship with God that's much deeper and more intimate. Yes. And that forming that's happening at so young an age will affect them for the rest of their life. And as we are in our late 40s, and still dealing with some of that early formation from childhood. It is really important. Mm -hmm. So we hope you enjoyed this podcast. Thank you for joining us. Deb, do you want to say anything else? Goodbye. Uh, Goodbye, everybody. Thanks. We'll be in central Romania next week at a mission conference, and they've asked us to bring our podcast So not sure what kind of podcast we'll be producing over the next few weeks, Uh, but we also will be going to Ukraine, middle of October, and doing some live podcasts there with our friends as well. So thanks for listening. Have a great week.